You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Mission Ridge. So good to see you guys here today. And we are in, we are week two of our series, Living the Story. And in this series, we're trying to answer this question. How will we make disciples today, here, in our context, in Missoula, or Missoula County, or I don't know, some of you live out of Missoula County, a couple of you maybe. Stevensville down still in Missoula County? No, all right. So I'm still learning my geography for Montana. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I never cared about geography when I was in high school, but now it's like a passion of mine. I, since I got to travel for the Air Force, I love geography. So I do want to know what county you guys are in. You have to tell me later. Last week, we looked at the woman at the well story. And we see Jesus start engaging with this woman, and she's confused by this because She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, he's a rabbi, he's, a, he's male, she's female. What are you doing engaging with me? And Jesus turns the conversation into a spiritual conversation. And through that conversation, she comes to recognize Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't start by just you know, sharing truth with her. He starts with sharing his life and engaging with her and treating her as a human being. And we talked about that story as being a story that we can model for ourselves, what it looks like to share our faith with the people around us. And we see that not only did Jesus share his faith with someone, but the woman, once she came to recognize Jesus for who he was, she had to share too. And she said this words, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so she invited her community to to, uh, connect with Christ too. And we showed you this graphic last week. This is a graphic that we're going to use. This gives us the ability to have a a conversation about what does discipleship look like. And um, one of the things I want to talk about as we get started is that just because we have these things listed in here, like you start with sharing your life and then sharing your truth and your story in the gospel and sharing new habits, discipleship isn't necessarily linear like this. It's not like this is step one, then step two, step three, and you have to hit step one before you can hit step two and step, you know, vice versa. Because the woman at the well, she started to connect her friends to Jesus right away. It's like four steps in, according to this graph. It's not linear like that. It's not linear. These are all things that need to take place. Like we should be sharing our lives with the people we're discipling. We need to know what their spiritual story is because understanding the context of their lives helps us know how to engage with them. And then we, need, we should share new truth with people whether they've known Jesus for just a little bit or or, are just learning about Jesus, or maybe they've known Jesus a long time, but we still need new truth. All of us do. 
And we need to share our story. This is how, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is how I came to know Christ. This is what I'm experiencing God's community. Now I know for some of you, you don't remember what it was like before knowing Christ. Like you grew up in a Christian home. Your parents always talked about Jesus. That's the very first thing that you remember was those conversations. That's actually a good story. I remember in Bible college, you know, Christy and I, we had one story and then everybody else had that other story I just mentioned, like <laughs> that perfect Christian home. You know, one day I, uh, I questioned my faith in God, and, but then I came back to my senses and now I'm at Bible school. That was, that was the most common story that we heard uh, at Bible school. Christy and I didn't have that story. If you want to know our story, you could ask me. It's a little more hair-raising than that. But the gospel, we, we need to share the gospel with people. And I still, 40 years later, still need to hear about the gospel. I still need to hear those words. And then sharing new habits. So that's, that's our part in discipleship. And like Gideon was told by the angel, told by the Lord to go and I will be with you. Jesus says that as you and I go, make disciples, teaching people to observe everything that Jesus commanded, he will be with us. And so this is our part. And I talked about, talk about God's part with someone that is new to Christ or has never heard about Christ. And God's part is to draw people, convict people, to, re- to reveal truth at the, at the heart level. Like the words may come out of our mouth, but when it hits their heart, that's God working. When people start asking questions about Jesus, that's not a natural thing to do. That's, that's unnatural. That's supernatural. That's God's spirit working in someone's life. And you can know that God is working and you can partner with him. But like Gideon, we have to decide if we're going to hide in a wine press. If we're going to shy away from the hard conversations. If we're going to let culture tell us you can't talk about religion. We have to figure out if we're going to hide like Gideon started. Or end like Gideon, Gideon finished. When he faced 120,000 with 300 and again, I'll say it, of the goofiest people we've ever met. So let's share. That's what we talked about last week. How do we share our faith? This week, we want to talk about connect. When someone is a spiritual infant or, a spiritual, or becoming a spiritual child, or, or maybe they've known Jesus for a while, but... You, they're not really maturing for, for some reason. They, their church experience was minimal and they come to Mission Ridge for the first time. They come to your care group and, and you see some things and you're going, oh, I think they're still pretty new in the faith. Like what's our part, church? That's what we're going to talk about today. But again, I want to start with God's part. I want to talk about God's part so that we know what he's doing and we don't try to get in the way. And God's part is to cause things to grow. 
Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who planted nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So our part is faithfulness in this. We should care about people growing spiritually, but we need to understand that our part is different than God's part. God causes the growth. We need to be faithful, though. And in this, as we invest in people, as we disciple them, we actually get to experience God in that. Did you know that Jesus grew both physically and spiritually? Like he didn't pop out of the womb a spiritual giant. It's hard to picture. I, I have a lot of questions. There's some things that I want to see when I die. I'm hoping that when we go to heaven, we get to see some movies. Like David and Goliath, that'd be a good movie to watch. Uh, there's a few others walking you know, on, on this parted sea. I want to see that movie. See if Charles, Charlton Heston was correct in the way he portrayed it. Um, I also want to see Jesus and how he lived. The day-to-day stuff. How many times did he have to blow his nose? How many times did he trip and fall and scuff his knee? These are the kinds of questions I wrestle with sometimes in my brain when, when I'm not here. But when Jesus was 12 years old, him and his family went to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover. And when they were done with their celebration, they were returning home. All but Jesus. Jesus got left behind. And this was actually the original Left Behind movie, but they lost the footage. So in Luke 2, it says this, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Already at 12, Jesus is astounding people. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the sayings that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So the picture that we get here is Jesus already understands enough about his relationship with the father and is astounding people with his conversations enough that Jesus probably could have just started off doing ministry right then and there. But instead, he submits to his parents. And then it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with whom? With God and with man. So there was a process that Jesus needed to go through. And there's a process that you and I need to go through. So how do we help infants, 
people are brand new to the faith or spiritual children, how do we help them become young adults? We connect people to God. Let's take a look at this graphic again. So we want to connect people to God. God uses a lot of things to grow people, circumstances, Sunday worship services, podcasts, care group. But your primary spiritual food is time with him in his word. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3, but our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. And so Paul's saying that in the scriptures, there's some of the scriptures are, is like milk, but other scriptures is like solid food. Like not everybody's ready for everything that the Bible has to say. For you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So in Corinthians, in this letter, Paul's addressing problems within the church. And he's saying, by and large, I'm seeing a people that have not grown up, who have not matured. And you're acting like every other human being acts like. And you're not acting like someone that the Holy Spirit has come in to redeem, to change, to mature. Our goal in coming to Christ is to become like Christ, to become spiritually mature. And like Paul here with the Corinthians, we need to see into the hearts of our disciples and do our part to help them grow. Leading them to the scriptures is a critical part of discipleship. Peter says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Paul's saying that the spiritual food is the Lord's word. It's God's word. It's the scriptures. So question for you. How often should a spiritual infant or spiritual child be fed? We got an answer over here in the corner by our youngest member in the room. Uh, Daily, right? And if we don't feed our children daily, daily if we don't feed our children, um, that's a bad thing. Like if, if we walked into someone's home and found children physically malnourished, would we ever blame the children? No, we would blame the parents. And so that leads to my, the answer to my second question. Who should be feeding infants and children? Who should be helping them to make sure they have the right diet? Those of us who say we are mature. If we are the mature followers of Christ, we need to make sure that, that those who are new to Christ 
have what they need so they can mature, so they can follow Christ. Then how often should a spiritual young adult or parent eat spiritual food? Probably daily, unless you're on a fast for some reason. I, I have no idea why they call it a fast. It goes so very slow. So I hate, I'm, I'm not, I mean fasts are mutually exclusive. And uh, I don't do great at fasting. If you're good at fasting, God bless you. Uh, pray for me when you fast, because when I fast, I forget to do everything. But we need, if we're spiritually mature, we need to feed ourselves on a daily basis. And if you call yourself a mature Christian, but you come to me and say, you're not feeding me enough, I'm going to question why you call yourself a mature Christian. Because if you're mature, you should be feeding yourself. You should know how to feed yourself. Now, if you don't know how to feed yourself, we will definitely help you understand what that looks like. And again, when we look at this graph, whether someone is an infant, a child, a young adult, or a parent, doesn't speak to their value. It just speaks to their, to their needs and speaks to their abilities. We shouldn't be handing keys to children. Here, drive the bus, son. If, there's, if, if they're 10 years old, they shouldn't be driving the bus. And they shouldn't be giving us spiritual direction if they're 10 years old, spiritually. So it just speaks to their, to their needs and their abilities. And it helps us talk about those things in tangible ways. So we need to connect people to God. The second thing we need to do is connect people to family or to care group. In Acts chapter 2, we see 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. If you remember our Acts series, uh, Marty Solomon spoke about that day. That's a great sermon. Love for you to listen to that on our podcast if you haven't heard it. And I don't know how many people were Christ followers prior to Pentecost, but we are told by Paul, the Apostle Paul, that, that at one point Jesus appeared to 500 people. So we know there's at least 500 followers of Jesus. And let's just say that's the number. So you have 500 followers on one day, and the next day you have 3,500 followers. Can you imagine if we just next week suddenly we had 180 brand new people come to Christ and they're part of our services starting next week? Like a six to one ratio jump. How would we teach them what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ? Because that is the goal. How do we do that? Well, we're told in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, what the disciples thought that they should do. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and, it, and many wonders and signs were being done 
through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. So it says, first of all, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I believe there's two primary things that they were teaching them. That the apostles were teaching the new converts what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So let's talk about what Jesus said. Many of the converts probably heard something about what Jesus had said, right? Jesus had a lot of open conversations. He had the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so Jesus was known for giving, giving his interpretation of how to live out the scriptures. But for those who had not heard that, the apostles would need to teach it. But there were also private conversations that Jesus had with the apostles. And the apostles would have to teach those things as well. For people coming into our care groups, if they're brand new to the faith, they need to hear the words of Jesus. They need to understand the heart of Jesus. They need to know about what he cares about. And that's our responsibility for those of us who call ourselves mature. But they also, the apostles, we've talked about what Jesus did. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but N.T. Wright talks about our, the various creeds that the churches have lived by for 2,000 years. The Nicene Creed being the most common one, most prominent one that, we, that most churches in town would, would hang their hat on, would look to. Um, and I imagine you're probably familiar with those. If not, you could Google it. But the Nicene Creed basically talks about Jesus' birth, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and how he is one with the Father. And is that a pretty good summary? Is that a pretty good summary? What's missing is the middle piece, which the Gospels give us in, in, in bold detail. The life of Jesus. Why do our creeds miss or at least ignore what Jesus actually did, how he lived? Because he made disciples to make disciples, and then he called us to do the same thing. And how Jesus lived seemed to be significant to the disciples. Coming to Jesus means that you're going to follow Jesus. Notice that Jesus never followed any of his disciples. He invited them to follow him. I feel like in American Christianity, we get that backwards. We want Jesus to follow us around. We want God to follow us around. We want people to, we want God to bless our agenda. 
As someone put it, um, we want to sprinkle a little Jesus in our lives and call it good. Jesus didn't give that option to his disciples. I don't believe he gives that option to you and I either. So coming to Jesus means you follow Jesus. You'll be changed by Jesus. And then you'll be on mission with Jesus. In other words, you'll live out the life that he enables you to live out. I love the fact that he enables us, that he changes us, that he gives us brand new abilities. Because honestly, when I first heard about discipleship and my responsibility towards it or my call towards that, I was like, "Uh, what? You want me to do what? You want me to help someone else become like Jesus? I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. The good news is Jesus, as he changes us, as he goes with us, we get to experience him. He changes us and gives us the ability to do exactly what he calls us to. Even as we see in the Gideon story. So, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were also devoted to fellowship. This is where they were challenged, encouraged, supported, provided guidance, where they found community. And this is what we want to create in our care groups. And again, if you call yourself mature, this is the kind of environment you need to help us create within our care groups. This, this doesn't just happen. I, I equate this to Christmas. Is Christmas for the kids or for the adults? It's for the kids. Care group, is it for the kids or the adults? In some sense, it's for both. But in other sense, the parents are the ones that actually make it happen. If you call yourself a mature Christian, Acts 2, 42-47 is our template for what we're trying to do within Missoula, so God's community continues to move forward and grow, and people will come to Christ day by day. That's what we're doing. And they were devoted to breaking of bread and prayer. Now, does this sound like something that took place once a week at a one-hour worship service? No. Again, this was a lifestyle. We'll, we'll talk more about this in our footnotes podcast, but the new disciples coming to Jesus, the new, the 3,000, they had no choice but to buy into a brand new community. And there are people that come to Christ all the time that they have no choice to buy into a new community. And for some of us, we've been Christians long enough that maybe we're, we forget Maybe you've forgotten what it was like to to live outside of God's community, or maybe you've never had to do that, and that's good news. But for those who have lived outside of God's community and need to replace their old community, this is life-giving. And everything that took place in Acts chapter 2 has to take place. I've I've seen people that, that give up drugs give up their crazy lifestyle, they come to Christ, but they're just floundering until someone invites them into godly community. 
And that new community helps them learn new things, helps them learn new habits. But also that new community oftentimes has to help them pay for things because their old community left them. Their old community turned their back on them. Their old community would like to suck them back in. So again, this is what we need to provide for those of us who call ourselves mature. So in our discipleship, we connect people to God. We connect people to family, that's care group. We also need to connect people to purpose. In Luke 9, we read these words. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, we don't know what the spiritual maturity of the disciples are at this point. I'm guessing that they're least spiritual children. And yet Jesus is connecting them to purpose. For us, that could look like planning a special event for the care group. That could be uh, leading prayer for care group. It could, be, it could look like even leading the next session, the next time for care group, leading the whole conversation. It could be serving on the worship team. It could be set up, Sunday morning set up. And, and I want to pause right here and just thank all of you who actually help each week faithfully with setup and greeting and the worship team, tech team. Thank you guys for all that you do because it's so valuable that we get to come together and celebrate the Lord together and worship him and have a place to have this conversation. So thank you for, for what you do. So that's connecting people to purpose. So that's Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 10 says this, And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, <clears throat> the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send the labors into his harvest. So question for you. One chapter later, Jesus sends out 72 more. Where did these guys come from? I thought he had 12 disciples. Interesting question. I don't know if I have an answer for you because the scriptures never identify these 72. What I wonder is this. The other gospels will tell you that when Jesus sent out the 12, he sent them out in pairs. <clears throat> what if Jesus, with his disciples, are starting to give his disciples disciples? And so there's 12 disciples for every pair of disciples. Isn't that an interesting thought? Jesus is giving people purpose. People are starting to recognize what's going on here. We can't tell what their spiritual maturity is, but Jesus is connecting people to purpose. And I think about my, my friend Lucas. 
Lucas, I met Lucas December of 2016. Now, for the most part, I don't remember dates like that very well. However, Rogue One had just come out. And uh, I remembered Lucas's name because of Josh. Rogue One, Lucas, George Lucas. That's how I did some word association. And so when Lucas would come through the doors, I would say, hey, Lucas, how you doing? I'd shake his hand, and his face would light up. And for four months, five months, that's all I knew about Lucas. And if we put the graph up there, um, you could say that Lucas is marginally connected to the church. And the reason why I say that is because one person out of a couple hundred, a few hundred in that service knew Lucas's name, but that was it. I didn't know how to pray for him. I didn't know his needs were. I didn't know his concerns were. I didn't realize at the time that uh, he was just starting down the path of recovery. He was marginally connected, attending services once a week. And uh, in April, we started advertising about ServeFest. ServeFest was a time we once or twice a year we would serve our community. There's five or six churches uh, across three counties. And we had 50 to 80 projects and we had 300 to 500 people serving on a Saturday morning. And Lucas came to me and said, hey, I want to serve. I've been talking to Lucas about connecting to a care group, but he just kept politely smiling and, and passing on by. And so I connected him to a group, actually it was Molly's group. I connected Lucas to um, the service project that Molly's group was serving on and said, hey guys, bring Lucas in, connect him. So by connecting him to purpose, I was able to connect through some faithful people, connect him to a small group. And that changed Lucas's life. And a year and a half later, I was able to baptize Lucas. And there's more to Lucas's story, which I'll, I'll share next week. Again, this isn't linear. I connected someone to purpose before I ever connected him to a care group because he asked for that. He asked to be connected to purpose. He was ready for that. He wasn't ready for the small group when I talked to him earlier on. So I waited. But this is what mature people do. They're, they're looking for opportunities to connect people to God, to family, and a purpose so they can continue to grow in their faith. And as we do that, we get to experience God because we get to see God do cool things. We get to baptize people and hear their story and hear how close they were to destruction until someone reeled them in. So the implication is this. You are called to be a disciple of Christ and therefore a disciple maker. And we want to equip you for that. The path of discipleship continues through connection.
if someone comes and only tends Sunday service for 30 years of their life, they accept Christ at 30, they die at 60, they're here for 30 years, they come faithfully every Sunday, their spiritual growth will be stunted unless someone sits down and connects them to God's word on a day-by-day basis and helps feed their soul and connects them to family and community, people that will pray for them, love on them, know what their needs are, and connect them to purpose, start giving them responsibility. We have to give our kids responsibility, give them ownership, It's the same with a spiritual child. We need to connect them to purpose. This is what the church is called to. And so the application is this. Connect your disciples to God. Connect your disciples to care group. And connect your disciples to purpose. These are the things we're going to figure out how to live out together. And I'm excited for the conversation that we'll have this week in care group as we look at this further. In a moment, we're going to share communion together as we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We're going to take the elements and uh, in a moment, I'll invite you up. You'll grab the elements and you'll sit down your seat and hang on to elements so we could take this as a church body, as a family. But as you do that, again, I invite you just to talk to God about what's your role in discipleship. Maybe your role is to seek out someone to disciple you. Maybe your role is to start discipling. Maybe your role is to help that person get connected that God's been putting them on your heart. Maybe your role is to actually connect yourself. Whatever the case, let that conversation begin with between you and the Lord and come up and grab the elements. I wonder if the disciples knew, like really knew what the next few weeks, months, years would hold for them in following Christ. I got to believe no way. I had no idea what God would hold for me when I came here a year ago. I I remember looking back uh, just a couple weeks ago with my wife and we were like, it's been a year. It felt like three. And there was enough stuff for three. It's, it's scary and exciting to go where God leads. It's scary because if God doesn't show up, man, we could look foolish, we could fall on our face, we could blunder. It's exciting. It's in those moments that when God does show up that we get to experience him. And I have to do that. I have to be where he's leading. Communion's a reminder for me 
of what Jesus was willing to pay so that we could even have this conversation today. Because honestly, I know what my deeds look like. I know how they stack up. I need a savior. I need a savior this week. Let alone the last 49 years. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord. And he took the cup after supper. And I can't believe he said this just hours before he went to the cross. He said, this is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. Jesus, you laid down your life so that I could have life. So that we could experience life. So that we could have a relationship with the Father unfettered. So that we could know that our shame is taken away. Whatever failures of this past week, Lord, we know that they are forgiven. We rejoice over your salvation. And Lord, we want to, again, just choose to live for you. Our God, our King, we celebrate you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.